Hey everybody, welcome to Just For Variety. Today is September 8th, 2022. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. Coming up on today's podcast, I talk with Betty Gilpin. You know her for her work on Glow and Nurse Jackie, but she's now a published author with the release of a collection of essays called All the Women in My Brain and Other Concerns. But before we get to Gilpin, let's take a look at this week's Just For Variety column. Eva Mendez is opening up about her decision to leave Hollywood almost a decade ago. I don't really miss it, Mendez told me, when we caught up at West Hollywood's Ardor Restaurant, where she hosted a brunch to celebrate her new co-ownership of kitchen cleaning product company Scora Style. I got tired fighting for the good roles, Mendez said. There just was a point where I thought, I'm going to create my own opportunities and become a producer on things and create my own material, but it just didn't feel worth it to me. Also, I finally got to meet singer-songwriter Omar Apollo at the MTV Video Music Awards. Check out what he had to say about being an out queer musician in this week's magazine or at Variety.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Just for Variety. I'm talking to Betty Gilpin, best known for her work on Glow and Nurse Jackie. We chatted via Zoom from the set of Mrs. Davis, Damon Lindelof, and Tara Hernandez's upcoming Peacock drama series. This week also saw the release of All the Women in My Brain and Other Concerns, a collection of essays Gilpin wrote during the height of pandemic lockdown. I never pass up the chance to talk to Gilpin because she is always honest, open, and downright funny. Here's Betty Gilpin. Hi. <laughs> How you doing? I'm good. I realized like the last time we chatted was on Zoom at the beginning of the pandemic. Yes. Like we were just learning Zoom. We kept going in and out. Oh and God, right. <laughs> Yes, yes. And you went from being like, hi, it's so great to God damn it. <laughs> and that's been life. <laughs> yes, that, that's been the last two years or so. Well, I feel like we saw each other at the Tomorrow War premiere, too. Maybe yes, that was between. Yes, yeah. When yes. we were like, what the hell are we all doing here in front of each other? Is this safe? What are we doing? <laughs> and then there was that big penis thing. Hanging oh my god, rock. right. That was crazy. And like alien screaming sounds. <laughs> as if being outside wasn't jarring enough. You know what? I, I the, you know what? Yeah, I know. The world is a mess and you got to work it out through a book of essays. 
I know. What did I do? I am in (laughs) awe of you, Betty. I am in awe. You need to know that there is a file on my computer that says book. (laughs) I have been working on forever. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. Write it. What's what's stopping you? It's just time or fear. Time and fear. I first started it about 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. It was too many family members were still alive. (laughs) I actually I had a publisher come to me and um, wanted me to do a little bit of a memoir. Wow. And I tried because I had written a piece for Out magazine about my Mm. very gay family. Right. And um there might have been grandparents that were still alive then that were pissed. You know, not pissed, just me not want me to write a book about it. Sure. You know. Yeah. So um, but this isn't about me, this is about you. You have a book coming out. We learn so much about you. So much. But let me tell you, I love you even more after reading this. Thanks, Mark. Thank you for reading it. It's a big homework assignment. I have a lot of women <laughs> in here too. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Do we have any of the same brain women? You know, there's that depression. There's yeah. love me. What can I yeah. do? You love me. There's Holly. Yeah. You know what? I am Betty Gilpin is going to be my drag name. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You you can have it copyrighted to you. <laughs> I am Ms. Betty to you. <laughs> But no, seriously, congratulations. What a, I mean. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I, you know, I had only written um, like a a handful of essays really um, and then had sort of secret, my own secret files. Uh, And I think it, it really took, honestly, the world shutting down to sort of um, have my own neuroses and self-doubt be upstaged by, you know, the crumbling of society. And it mm-hmm. sort of felt like, uh, just write the damn thing. It, right. it, even if it's not Tolstoy <laughs> or the Odyssey, <laughs> just write it. Um, and yeah, I, I sort of sat down on my living room floor in the uh, posture of a gargoyle on cocaine and just wrote it gargoyle um, on cocaine <laughs> <laughs> and that's press the, send <laughs> that's the title of the second book <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> well right now i'm like i don't know if there'll be a second book this is terrifying i felt like it i was sort of high on nothing matters uh the, the society doesn't exist anymore uh believe in yourself and wrote the book and now society exists again which is great uh <laughs> now the book's coming out i'm like what have you done <laughs> but there's no turning back mark and here we are promoting it <laughs> so do you you know do you, do you share it with family do you share it with friends and they say you know what call your agent get in touch with the literary division of your agency let's get this out there how does how do you uh, go from writing a couple of essays, putting, you know, a file on your laptop to, hey, let's try to sell this. Well, I I was approached by, um, I mean, I was talking to my book agent at ICM forever uh, about, you know, writing and um, 
she had been sort of prodding me like a years long gentle prodding process. Uh, And then we were approached by some people who said, um, you should write up a proposal. So it didn't exist first. And, and uh, yeah, which, you know, I found to be a really, um, it's sort of the reason why I'll never write a script is as soon as it has to go into math brain or outline brain, then like the creative side of my brain is sort of aware that there's a result, which is on, I try to write about too, of like trying to be creative with that, with letting go of the fact that it's a product or a result, but of course, for the purpose of making a product and result. Um, (laughs) And yeah, no. So I wrote an outline and then, and then just wrote the book. Yeah. So what was the no, let's not start with the hard stuff. Let's start with the fun <laughs> stuff. What was the most fun to write about? Um, uh, the most fun to write about was, you know, I think that I I tried to write about things that I feel um, like I uh, I alone had felt in my room, scared by myself, and felt uh feel like the past couple of years, maybe it's being in one's thirties or the time that we're in, you slowly realize, oh gosh, the things that I thought were my curse alone are actually um, like the Venn diagram overlap of the people that I love that really unite us, Um, you know, struggling with self-doubt and depression and anxiety. And then like this, uh, while having all of those dark feelings, this tiny little feeling of, gosh, maybe if the right exact circumstances happened and uh the right cocktail of bravery and circumstance happened I could do something specific and special with my life for a second um and then those self-doubt voices coming in over that feeling um and I think everybody really feels that way um and you know in a strange meta way I tried to do it in this book to uh talk about you know having my passion and nerddom of theater and acting sort of trapped inside this ridiculous business of entertainment that, you know, is often eye-rolly and insane and preposterous and embarrassing, but also fun and a ridiculous circus. Um, So I don't know. I tried to write about all that. And I found, I found that really fun and writing about my parents. I really enjoyed. (laughs) So when do you tell your parents, by the way, there's going to be a book of essays that I wrote um, that I'm going to, you know, really sort of, you know, tell my truths. Um, Yeah, I told them um, they, you know, they were fine with it. (laughs) They were just kind (laughs) of like, great. Yeah, send it to us. And I kept being like, you have to read it right now, because if you want me to change anything, it's got to be right now. Mm. Yeah. No, we're fine with it. It's, you know, uh, I think they, you know, my parents are both actors and, um, I grew up with them doing mostly theater and I, I tried to make it a a love letter to them and, uh, our sort of, uh, carny upbringing, um, uh, because I really fell in love with acting through them. And, you know, I was kind of raised backstage at um off-broadway and regional theaters in the northeast and listening to their you know iambic pentameter filtering through the pa and you know uh seeing my mom in a wig cap gossiping like a main tenant of my childhood um 
and my dad, you know, murmuring old monologues into a chili pot was, it's all, it's all just permanently in there. Um, yeah. And then sort of having that be the kind of foundation of my love for it. And then puberty sort of morphing me into some strange, uh, curvy alpha woman whose books I carried in high school. I'm now playing that person as a profession. And, um, I don't know the juxtaposition of having that sort of Shakespeare nerd inside me Mm -hmm. and playing the, you know, uh, rude slut (laughs) for health insurance. (laughs) So it's all in the book. (laughs) Playing the rude slut for health insurance. (laughs) You know what? That should be under the Hollywood Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, did they ask you to change anything? Um, my parents, no, no, they didn't. Uh, actually, my mom, I um, there was one line where I was like, I, I, my mom did this play called Abe Lincoln in Illinois at Lincoln Center, mm-hmm. and the sentence was, "My mom played Lincoln's sister at Lincoln Center," and she was like, "I played his sister-in-law." I was like, but but the cadence is so much better. Lincoln's <laughs> sister at Lincoln Center. She was like, if you don't put in law, people are going to be taken out of the book. Like, yeah, okay. All right, sure. And I changed it. So that's the only thing. <laughs> that's a, listen, that's a pretty good, that's yeah. a pretty good edit. And then, you know, they they have um, Flatiron, the publisher, has a lawyer go through and uh, do a um, don't sue me read. Uh, right. And he was like this sweet old man in Florida. Uh, reading this book I was like I can't imagine this happening uh and on the phone he was like now uh you say um my body morphed from a shivering Bieber to Pamela Foghorn will we be hearing from Pamela Foghorn's lawyers (laughs) I was like she doesn't exist (laughs) she's a she's a metaphor it's fine we we won't be hearing from Pamela Fog, but watch me hear from a woman named Pamela Foghorn. <laughs> like I'm suing you for fifty million dollars. <laughs> well, talk about talk about your body. Obviously, you write about it a lot. Um, and when did you when you started acting? Was it okay? I'm going to do Shakespeare, and I'm going to do regional theater. When did sort of the switch happen? Where it's like. Actually, you could be the rude slut. <laughs> <laughs> when did I morph into rude slut? Um, <laughs> from prepubescent Hamlet wannabe. Um, <clears throat> you know, for the first sort of decade out of college, I did mostly off-Broadway theater. Um, and <clears throat> something I try to talk about, tackle in the book is uh, presented self versus authentic self. and you know, there's the the um, essay where I talk about Salem versus Barbie. And that's essentially what I'm trying to say, like your internal id, authentic self versus kind of the shell that you present to the world. And in theater, they're really mostly only concerned with authentic self, like your grittiest, most grotesque, weird self on stage and don't really care what you look like. Um, and I sort of uh, realized that if you want to get a job in TV and film, it's a lot of selling the shell before the, uh, authentic self. You kind of have to shoehorn in or Trojan horse in the weird. 
um, through a uh, shell of lip gloss and lashes. And, you know, I think that um, uh, Nurse Jackie was sort of the first big job I got on TV where it sort of encapsulated a dance that I and most actresses do uh, in their career, which is sort of have to check all the boxes or try to sort of shuffle between like, hey, don't worry, um, I'm going to check all the blow up doll boxes and be a fantasy version of myself. I'll go to hair and makeup and do the patriarchy car wash and be warped into a person who doesn't look like anything like I look like when I wake up in the morning. And right. if I look like that, may I please Trojan horse in some of my authentic self and, uh, you know, do the weird uh, gargoyle acting part that I like to do. Um, and I think that was sort of my first taste of, oh, wow. Uh, kind of in order to wear the pants in my life, I have to wear the dress, like to be the breadwinner, to have the career I want to have, I have to kind of play the game of being the prettiest dolly possible. Um, and I think that's changing mm -hmm. in a great way, but uh, it's also still so present uh, in our business. So when you're going to work in Nurse Jackie, were, were there days where you're just like, this isn't me, I'm not feeling right? Yeah, totally. So with Nurse Jackie, I came on in season five. Um, right. And uh, also purposely, I don't really name names in the book or talk oh. about specifics just because, you know, A, I would never want a reader to think, well, I don't know this actress, so I'm not going to connect to this book or right. I'm not going to connect to this person or feeling. And I tried to keep it as vague as possible. But Mark, you you know what I'm talking about. So we'll, <laughs> we'll use specifics now. Um, but I came on in season five where the showrunners had switched from women to men and the men were really smart guys and uh, I liked them a lot, but it sort of changed the tone of the show. Until then, it had been about, you know, women in ponytails and chapstick who were good at their jobs uh, and in scrubs. And then my character was right. brought on to be like, and tune in for these tits. <laughs> and I kind of wanted to, um, you know, I, I was so desperate to sort of shake my heroes by the shoulders, Evie Falco, Merritt Weaver, Anna Devere Smith, be like, even though I'm in this costume, I am one of you. Let's do Brecht together. Um, right. And uh, yeah, certainly there were days where I'm like, oh man, I feel like a sellout and a fraud and an anti-feminist, like I'm getting naked every third scene, but in order to buy me the scenes where I get to cry and do a pratfall. Um, and, you know, nobody forced me to do that. That was, I was very aware of what the job was. Um, I just think it was sort of an exact picture of the moment we were in. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, I think things are, 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 um, getting better and, uh, changing, but it's, it's kind of the same thesis statement of like, uh, you know, as I say in the book, we're given two different messages, put on a blazer and, right. uh, scream fuck into a mug and arch your back and whisper thanks into a teacup. Like you have to sort of 
be both Salem and Barbie at the same time. Was there ever a moment where you said, I need to, I need out. This is too much. Um, no, you know, it wasn't a painful thing for me. And Mm -hmm. maybe that in, you know, like getting naked on TV, I mean, or, or sort of, um, uh, winking at the camera and wearing the push-up bra and sauntering in order to buy me the, um, you know, meat and potatoes scenes of some gritty stuff to do. The writing was incredible. Uh, you know, I think that I, 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 I wanted to be an actor and I wanted to be a working actor and, I think I thought that I'd be on off, 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 off Broadway, making two cents and a hug a week for the rest of my life. So uh, to me, if, if that was what I had to do, it's what I had to do. And I don't think it was like a noble thing. You know, I try to, I look at all of it with humor. Um, You know, I don't think it's like, my tell all about how I was forced to wear a piece of tape as a costume. I was like, throw me the tape. I can't wait to do the monologue. (laughs) (laughs) But then you go and you do glow. Yeah. Which is like complete female empowerment, but looking sexy fighting. (laughs) Right. How freeing was that after nurse Jackie? Yes. Uh, Yeah. Incredible. I mean, you know, again, Nurse Jackie was an incredible job and I yeah. wanted it to go forever. Glow was the same writers as Nurse Jackie. Right. Um, Liz, Liz, Carly, Liz Flayhive and Carly Mensch were the showrunners and sort of, um, you know, I almost feel like Nurse Jackie was my sort of wax on, wax off training with them of like, mm. write me a weird character. Um, and yeah, it was, Glow was a really, uh, it was sort of a litmus test for myself of how I'd been thinking about my own body of, I mean, I had a, um, a acting teacher tell me once that I was a good actor from the neck up and from the neck down, I was just scared Betty. And he was completely right that I just sort of viewed my body as like the thing to suck in for the wide shot to earn the, the weird close up. Um, and wrestling strangely was the first thing that made me feel like oh my my body is uh, a powerful functional uh vessel not just um a, a centerfold that i can either hate or disguise um and uh you know it took working with those women and working with Alison Brie who already felt that way about her own body uh and career to it, it really it really completely changed my life and changed uh, me as a woman totally we're going to take a short break right now but when just for variety returns gilpin talks about maybe wanting to play a superhero and what it's been like starring as a nun in the upcoming mrs davis we'll be right back It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to Just for Variety. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. Here's more of Betty Gilpin. So is the ultimate now is to go play a superhero? I mean, (laughs) yes, although the stunts as I get further and further into my 30s, like I can't like get me a detective in a sweater in a chair. That sounds great. (laughs) Ready for the mayor of East Town, Texas. I was just going to say mayor of East Town or Fargo. (laughs) Right. Yes. Yeah. If it was. Mayor of Easttown as like a sketch show. <laughs> that sounds great. Like my, my body, my my body brain empowerment is forever changed by, by glow. Also, my bones and muscles are uh, forever changed by slamming them into the mat over and over and over again. It hurts so much. <laughs> do you still do you still have the pains from glow and slamming your body so much? I can crack my hip in my hip can basically like freestyle rack if I wanted to. Like I did it on set the other day, just like cracked it. And all these huge grip dudes were like, what was that? Like my hip. Cool. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. You just can't wait to put on a pair of heels and walk a red carpet. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, I, I try to also be, um, have a kind of comedic arched eyebrow towards um, critique of our business and poking fun at it, but I'm certainly participating in it and loving it. Like, uh, you know, I talk about how ridiculous the self-promotion tour is. And of course, here I am (laughs) self-promoting this book. It's, it's very, it's very strange, you know, writing this sort of manifesto about everything I think and feel and then going on a press tour about said thing is is wild (laughs) well I mean listen you have a self-awareness and we know there are a lot of people in our business right no (laughs) self-awareness whatsoever completely but I think that um I just am trying to constantly check in with myself because I know that also self-awareness is trending right now. Like there's sort of a branding of vulnerability and authenticity that I think we all think that it means, oh, it's guaranteeing that I'll stay self-aware and authentic. Mm. Or is it doing the opposite of like, it shuts it into the presented self and you no longer, like, you know, when you can tell somebody is telling you a story and they're quote unquote being vulnerable. And you're like, you've told this story six times before and I'm the sixth person. And there's just like a slight turnout to an audience that isn't there. And they're not really making eye contact with you, but they, but their hand is over their heart and they've got like perfect tears in their eye. I mean, I just, I'm like, okay, Betty, do this book tour, try, try to get people to read the book. And then you have to go into the woods <laughs> where no audience is where no one is, you know, listening to your teary story, get your own tears in a vacuum. <laughs> so am I the sixth person you just told that story to? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's playing well the sixth time around. <laughs> no, I promise. <laughs> no, but I mean, listen, it, 
all my years in therapy, I'm also in recovery. I'm sober. So, you know, I've done a lot of work. Yeah. By no means is the work over. Right. And that that's, you know, that's one of the big differences when you, when you're self-aware. God, now I'm going to say, look how self-aware I am. <laughs> um, like you're self-aware enough to know that self-awareness isn't always there. And I know that's so profound, but right. you know, it, it's, it's yeah. just a journey. And like, listen, you wrote this book, you have these essays. And by the way, in 10 years, you may look at these essays and be like, this was a moment in time. This doesn't completely. I already feel like that. It takes yeah. so long to write for a book to come out. I wrote them two years ago uh, yeah. now. And yeah, totally. There are things that, um, uh, you know, one of the things I think about is like, it, it just felt so protected writing it. And I, I, I think that's another reason why I feel like I was able to be self-aware and authentic because there wasn't it felt like an audience didn't exist anymore it felt like we were all just going to be in our houses forever uh and so I think god now would I I get superstitious about that with acting too honestly that which I try to write about that it was easier to sort of stay in authenticity and self-awareness and access a creative space in your brain when no one was watching you and no one really cared about me as an actor. It, it didn't feel like it felt like I could fail for free and um, try weird stuff. And, you know, in, in theater, of course, no, there's no filming it. There's no selling of the product. It just exists in the moment and then disappears. And now that totally my, my dream is coming true that I didn't, a dream I didn't even know I had, that I didn't even dream this high. Um, I do get superstitious that, in the participation of um, the results and celebrating uh, the the product or whatever, I'm gonna get high on my own validation and no longer be able to access the the stuff that got me here in the first place. That I'll just sort of turn into um, a bad actor who is scrolling compliments on their phone, which I see happening to people. And it's just so uh, heartbreaking to me. And I feel it with myself, honestly, sometimes that because I spent so long feeling, um, you know, depressed and invisible and having, uh, I mean, certainly there are many people who don't like me as an actor and I've read their comments online, but like participating in some of the validation feels so good. And it's so hard not to be like, oh, and what else? We all, yeah. we, it's, yeah. it's a, it's a human condition. We want approval. Yes. Right. Right. I just think we always have to sort of vacillate between like, okay, you've had enough candy. Yeah. Like when I do a, a talk show, I say to myself, if I think it went okay, I'm like you can watch it on YouTube once, like you can have one piece of candy mm. and then it's, and then you got to go like, don't read the comments, do it <laughs> once. Like, Yes, cool, totally. You never thought you'd be in a talk show. Watch it one time. But, you know, the second you're sort of obsessing and participating in the iPhone echo chamber of your own uh, presence on the internet or in, in the zeitgeist, I feel like then you start to lose touch with reality and humanity. And staying in touch with humanity is my my literal job as an actor. I mean, actors are so important, Mark. 
we're really the lifeblood of the world. No comments, please. (laughs) (laughs) Actors are stupid. (laughs) But now you go and you're playing a nun. Mm Mm-hmm. So yes. I know you can't say much about it. There's a lot of secrecy around the project. Yes. Um, but we do know you're playing a nun. Yeah. Tell me about the first time. Are you like a full-on habit nun? Full habit nun. Uh, the costume designer is very much British and uh, put me in a wool habit. And we are shooting in the absolute desert. And it's so hot. <laughs> I don't know how these nuns... I hope that when they're at the convent and they have no visitors, they're like, should we just wear boxers today? Because this is insane. Um, but yes, I've been running around uh, the desert in a habit. And I, I think that's all I can say. Um, but the other actors I'm obsessed with, I have all my scenes with Jake McDormand, who is an absolute movie star. And I, I just love him. And then Margot Martindale plays Mother Superior. Uh, dreams, 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 dreams. So have you gone offset in the habit to like Starbucks or to like coffee bean and be like, I'll have a tall latte just to. (laughs) I, you know, I haven't really done that. I've, I've walked. We really are shooting in the middle of nowhere (laughs) or on the Warner brothers lot. We're like, I'm the least weird thing that's happening. Um, But yeah, no, I totally should. Uh, my friend Ryder Doyle was like, have you incorporated a sound of music pun into it? Like I haven't. He was like, you're, you've changed that you haven't done a sound of music pun yet. You need to check in with your authentic self because old Betty would have done that. Like you're right. You're right. Or even better. Yeah. Betty Betty the nun needs to just go walk into a bar one day. Okay, great. I wish I still smoked cigarettes because a cigarette smoking nun would be pretty great. Or Or ask for a pregnancy belly. (laughs) (laughs) yes that'd be incredible but you grew up you grew up with religion and faith your dad yeah is is an episcopalian minister totally (laughs) yes i mean you know episcopalian is pretty (laughs) is pretty light um you know you kind of memorize the paragraph hug each other and go home for cheese and crackers um but yeah my dad became a priest uh, I guess he was always, he was a lay minister when we were younger. So he was sort of like the substitute minister sometimes, right. and then, uh, could marry people, etc. And then he went back to seminary. Um, I think when I was in college, uh, and had a parish in New Wilford, Connecticut for some time. Um, and, oh God, the day he was ordained um we were sitting uh in the front row of this church and it felt like the end of it's a wonderful life where we didn't i didn't know that people were going to come but it was like the people who came up to greet him passed us down the aisle i looked and it was like everybody i mean i choked up everybody he'd done plays with Mm. from my childhood like the cast of, you know, people from Hay Fever at the Westport Playhouse. And mm-hmm. just, you know, it was such a magical time and he was so touched. Um, but yeah, my dad is a, you know, he also is still, both my parents are still acting. My dad plays I'm Church, the butler, butler on The Gilded Age on HBO. Mm-hmm. Um, so proud of him. Um, 
you know, I think my dad has sort of always had the soul of a 72 year old butler. And now that he mm. is 72, are you 72 dad? He's playing a 72 year old butler. It just feels like all is right with the world that that is happening. Probably he was a 72 year old butler when he was three years old. <laughs> well, I have to tell you when I was first watching Gilded Age and I saw your dad's name, I, like, that's Betty. I literally turned to my husband. I went, that's Betty Gilpin's dad. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Jack Gilpin's daughter. <laughs> I think of myself. And so, Ann McDonough's daughter. <laughs> so when are we going to see you in a corset, coming up in a carriage, and oh, being like church the butler's long lost daughter? Oh, my God. I mean, I wouldn't want to crash my dad's party. I feel like he's got his, he, first of all, he's having such a ball on that show. And shout out to the Gilded Age group text. He was like, I'm on what's called a group text. It's like, <laughs> I, I know what a group text is. <laughs> um, yeah, I think he would be be like, uh, like it would be like him pulling up to the middle school dance to pick me up, but reverse. He'd be like, that right. is please, two blocks away. <laughs> the group text can see you. <laughs> but I feel like you, your mom and your dad need to go to that off off Broadway theater and do something together and i don't, I don't and, I, <laughs> and i don't want to say on golden pond because that's just too easy <laughs> we did a reading of what's the um is it a tina hell play called painting churches once at westport god i don't know it would either be magical or we'd kill each other doing a play together Oh God, they're so ridiculous. And I do feel totally half and half of my parents. My dad is very sort of um, gravitas personified Atticus Finch. And my mom is Lucille Ball holding a leaf blower. Um, and I really throughout the day vacillate between those two personalities. <laughs> Listen, there's always the reality show keeping up with the Gilpins. Oh my God. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> Betty, this is so much fun. Yeah. <laughs> this is real. I'm really, I'm so happy for you. Thank you. I was Mark. so excited when your team hit me up. I'm like, yeah, she's coming out with a book. We want to talk to her. And, and I think they could tell you within 10 seconds. I said that. Yes. <laughs> That's so nice. Done. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Uh, congrats. Hopefully. Uh, Thank you. The desert will be nice to you, even if you are in a wool habit. Oh, that's awful. Oh, it's amazing. It's the best. It's It <laughs> might be my favorite job ever. Mrs. Davis on Peacock, coming probably spring. <laughs> it's so weird. It's so crazy. And I I, I, I think I think you're going to love it. I think it's maybe my favorite thing I've ever done. And listen, that guy has a track record of making people just get obsessed. Yes. Yeah. Damon Lindelof. And Tara yeah. Hernandez is the showrunner, and she's a mad genius. Yeah, it's wild. it's wild. And is this going to be one of those where every episode we're going to be like, uh, what happened? Yes. Yeah, what happened? Yes, yes. You'll be screaming at the television, and I'll be uh, in lashes and a habit, finally. Lashes <laughs> and a habit. Oh, sure, of course. Long lashes. Oh. <laughs> so now you're the rude, slutty nun? Yeah, you got to give the people what they want, Mark. I got to get that health insurance. <laughs> you're amazing. Thank you're amazing. You. Thank you, Happy, Mark. what is it, Wednesday, I think? I don't know what And is. if I recycle anything I said on this, I said it here first. <laughs>
Do not worry. I know the difference between a Betty recycle and a really unauthentic recycle. And here, here's the deal. You wrote a book. Right. So we know the stories. The stories are there. Great. We to talk to you about them. Yeah. Because I don't think somebody wants to listen to my podcast of me reading Betty Gilpin's book. I'd listen to it. Well, maybe not my book, someone else's book. And last question for you, though. Yeah. Who's going to play Betty Gilpin in the biopic of Betty Gilpin? Oh, God. I mean, it's got to be Jodie Comer, right? If we're if we're going for Boom. younger, shinier, better Betty, we got to go Jodie Comer. <laughs> wow, you did not blink when I asked that question. <laughs> She's incredible. She really is incredible. And right now I'm looking at you and I'm like, am I talking to Jodie? Yeah, Jody's aunt, baby. <laughs> Jody's American aunt. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Betty. Thank you, Mark. Talk soon. Bye. Take care. Bye. That's it for this week's Just for Variety. Thanks for listening. Until next time, don't forget to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mark Malkin. And for all your breaking and exclusive Hollywood news, go to Variety.com. And make sure to follow all these socials all weekend because I'll be at D23 and the Emmys and all the parties in between. See you soon. Mm-hmm.